As I walked down to Chatham Street, a fair maid I did meet. She asked me to see her home, she looked and blinked straight to me away. Santi, my dear Annie, oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? The Long Haul Podcast, America's Irish Voice. Interviews with inspiring immigrants, renowned Irish personalities, and discussions on all things Irish America. Presented by Michael Dorgan and Johnny Kennedy. U.S. visas, a hot topic among our listeners and an issue we promised to cover when we first launched the podcast. In this episode, we speak with top U.S. immigration attorney Larkin Shannon. Larkin is based in New York and has a tremendous reputation among Irish immigrants living and working in America. We go through all the various visas that Irish people might qualify for, including green cards, and the whole process of getting one. Larkin provides us with the latest news and information on COVID-related travel bans, and after putting the call out through irishcentral.com, Larkin answers readers' visa questions. But first, we start off with a brief chat about the bar situation here in New York and the latest news on the Long Hall reopening on East 34th Street. Um, yeah, well, I suppose the bar game, it's a well-hashed-out conversation probably at this stage. Um, I suppose my answer now is probably no different from what it was, lads, on the 16th of March. It's no different. Um, the only pro- the, I'd say the only big difference now is, is like... Um, like we were obviously talking to everyone Lorcan before we come on about bars like opening with outdoor seating and all that type of stuff. Like it's very much a neighborhood thing, isn't it? Like it's very much, you know, you hear people saying, Oh, I was in the upper east side, it was packed, I was down in the village, it was packed, blah blah. I know people have bars in both of them places and I spoke to both of them and it is good that they're getting something done and they're doing stuff. And I was down like with Jason down the Hudson Hound around uh, Pride weekend there and you know, just watching the way he was operating and stuff like that. And very smart the way some of them lads were doing it, but even they said it. it's just a struggle. It's just an all-around struggle. And you hear people saying, "Oh, such and such a bar, it was great, and this was good." No, but all these bars are closing at ten o'clock at night. Like your rents are still like they're not, they haven't changed much. So the landlord's giving a guy a break. He's giving him a break now, but he still wants the money off him. So just to give people a quick rundown of the way it would work is you probably went for you probably got PPP loan. So someone would have got their PPP loan to start. And then there's, I won't go into the whole details because that has changed literally every day and might change by the time the end of this pod even gets released. You are supposed to use that, take your staff off the welfare, bring them back, pay them on the PPP loan and get yourself open. But it doesn't really apply to New York because a lot of bars weren't allowed open. So now you had lads here with these PPP loans and they've no way of opening. And even if they opened to do to-go drinks or to-go food and all, which a lot of them did and it was great that what they were trying to do, but what's happening now is, lads, and there's probably no coincidence in it, you'll see a few bars have come up on Facebook in the last few days and all that they've closed down, that they've walked away. That literally coincides with the PPP loan. A lot of people have got the PPP loan at the very start and activated it the way they were told to do it by the government and everything. That, the dates of them, if they use that the way they were told to use what I'm trying to say, that ended this week. Like I spoke to a guy the other day who's a vendor and he told me that his PPP loan was ending this weekend. So his cost is about 30000 a month. So he activated his PPP loan. He used his, the joke he made at the cleanest warehouse in New York because he brought guys back. He brought them all back to work. And they're just cleaning the warehouse and doing some work. Now he's in a dilemma that he's took all them people off the welfare. He's tried to do what he was told to do, and his PPP loan is gone. 
So now what does he do? Now in this guy's case, he said he's just going to pull on and he's a little bit going on in his business. But where does that leave some of the bars? They've activated their PP loan. That's going to run out. Now they're like, now what do we do? And you start looking at them going, well, you brought me back. You took me off the welfare. Now could they go back on it? Now the welfare, as we know, has been cut by $400. So whether that comes around, but without getting into all that, on just on our end, we chose not to. You could put X amount of seats outside. You could build up some more than 34 street. It's a two-way street. There are like, it's a, yeah, it's a two-way street, like in tent, but there's no standing right outside it. And in all fairness, imagine sitting on a couple of uh, low-top tables out on that bus lane on 34th street. You know what I mean? It's a massive footpath and you probably could have got a little bit, but we don't have much frontage. We just felt for us and we still feel even as regards to the Westbury and like with the Long Hall. It nearly makes more sense for us to stay closed and to keep our bills at a minimum. The minute you open, as you know, it's like, it's not even your apartment, Con Edison, the Wi-Fi, the process and the credit cards, all the stuff, your staff are back. In order to have the food and the menu, you gotta go buy food. It literally starts, like bars probably cost 25, 30 grand a week to run at the average place. So right now I don't have that. And all I have to deal with is the landlord. At least I don't have to deal with the vendor. I don't have to deal with this and stuff. And it's a bit of a morale thing as well, isn't it? Like, you know, I'd be looking at the staff I'd be bringing back. I can't be looking at them and Jesus, I've made me hard to go out. I remember opening the long haul, obviously, and it was so difficult. It's so hard to open a bar, you know, and it's not exactly a Times Square location. So you're literally hustling and hustling and trying, as everyone does, and that's why we signed up for it. I would imagine it'd be, it'd be like that, but worse, because there's just nobody. Like, Lorton, you're in the city. Michael, you're in around the city sometimes. Like, what, Midtown just looks like a ghost town. And even, never mind a ghost town, it looks like you're walking dead. And I don't want to paint a bad picture for anyone listening to this, but let's call a spade a spade. It is scary. You have, like, homeless people and drug addicts and stuff, and God love them. But they're, they're in a lot of these hotels that we were hoping to get business off from tourists. And now you have these people, like, friends of mine have bars in certain streets without naming them, and there's two or three hotels on them full with people that are out. And that's, I'm not, there's no exaggeration in this. Anyone that's been in the city has seen this. They're out injecting on the street. Like. You just get on Facebook, you'll see them videos. They are there. It's not trying to dramatize them. So let's just say tomorrow, Como or these two nutjobs decided to open the bars. Said, okay, go for it. How safe would I even feel opening a bar right now? Would you, like, you know, leave your staff? I, I'm 20 years in New York and I walk out a long haul every night. It never crossed my mind once that there'd be ever an issue that Chris or one of the girls or something couldn't handle. Now I wouldn't be so confident in that scenario of leaving somebody working in a bar, a guy or a girl working in a bar, even together, two of them in the evening time. So I personally, I'm, I know I'm painting a bad picture over here. I think the city's a long way from being ready to open. And a lot of my friends are going to try open within the next few weeks and months, and I hope it works for them. And I think the more of them that do open, that obviously will probably help to, to normalize it. But they're opening without our seating that they're not, they were never set up for in the first place. And like, there's 2 million tourists on it. Uh, this day last year, they, 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 are, they, they say the average of 2 million tourists in Manhattan every day. So between tourists, students in town, this is related to the long haul now, students in town, GAA, all these things, you take all of them things away and it's pointless as opening the long haul. Like, it's just pointless. The summer, as you know, Larkin will tell you, in the summer in this business, you're kind of just hanging on. 
in July and August. Whatever you make, if you pay your bills and stuff, you're, you're happy out with it. You rely on your St. Patrick's Day and then you rely on like mid-September kicking on into October. But summer-wise, you're dead at the best of times anyway. And I admire people, and these are friends of mine if they're listening to this, I admire them all trying to open. But if I gave them any month previous to this, any other year, and said to them, you have to close down for one month, they would all nearly pick August. They wouldn't even pick February, they'd pick August. It's like 90 degrees most days. Like We, we, we all appreciate it and we want to sit outside of it. And I know the long haul is 90% based on loyalty customers. They would 100% come and do the right thing. But they, even they'd be like, I'm not sitting out up inside here in 34th Street, you know, 90 degrees heat. So I don't, I don't, my honest answer Michael, is I don't personally think there's going to be a whole lot of change unless there's a vaccine. I do think the government are going to come out with a PPP loan number two. I think that is coming. There is talk of it in some shape or form. I don't know how it's going to work because the first one was probably rushed through with all the great intentions. So if they bring out another one, they're going to have to do it in a different way. So I don't know. So, but that's not everyone trying. I, when I was last summer, it was my first summer here, Johnny, as I mm. know, and I couldn't believe um, there was a guy who owns another bar. Uh, Cormac from Cormac, uh, he was driving to the Kerry matches and he said, summer is dead for the bars here. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't realise it. He's like, sure, everyone leaves town. Yeah, yeah. It's only, I only kind of realise now going into the city, how dependent the city are on tourism. Yeah. No one in the city. No one yeah. at all. And nah, around true. Sunnyside here where I am, the bars are actually fairly busy. It's all the yeah, they're doing well. Are staying, yeah. They're doing well. They're busy. People are staying locally. But you see how much the city relies on tourism. And Larkin, you were saying up by um, the Hell's Kitchen there, there's segments there that are busy as well. But other yeah, parts of the... Yeah, Hell's Kitchen's got a bit of press for it, same as the story. It's pretty packed a lot of the time. Um, probably too packed some of the time. But um, yeah, the outdoor season's going well. I suppose, Johnny, the thing about August, though, would you consider this August to be different from other August? Like, generally, August is the worst month, but... Hmm. This might be your only chance to make money for six months because you can't sit outside in. It's easier to sit outside in August than it will be in November or December, I guess. No, a hundred percent. But I, I think there's an element of what I was probably should have said was there's an element of a bit of a game with your landlord. And if a landlord comes along and sees you with X amount of tables outside your place and he sees you open, and then you're in the next hand, you're sort of saying to him, "Listen, this isn't. That doesn't. That doesn't mean anything." I know I've had landlords tell me and like friends of mine that be in the real estate brokers and they're, they've said like that their landlords are saying, sure, he's open. They've no, they've no concept for the fact that that is not going to cut it. And it's stuff like that. But there is, some of them might have deals with landlords where they have to get open. Like some landlords might just say, look, get open and anything you can get in. And then there is the element, like some other people held their PPP loans and that's why they're opening now. And it is, there's nothing else they can do. It is a smart thing to do because it's all very fine me saying that they're going to forgive these PPP loans. There is talk of it being forgiven as in that they're going to change the rules and let you use it for different things. But that might not happen. And then you are on the hook for that money. So let's say you got two or 300,000. You'll owe that money back if you don't use it in the correct way, as we know. So... I can see, yes, definitely it is. And like what Michael said there about Sunnyside and we, we mentioned about the Upper East Side and even Hell's Kitchen and all that, people are being very good. Like People are being very loyal and they're going to their regular, they're going to their local places and they're sticking to it. And like I said, they're all big neighbourhoods we mentioned. But I, I wouldn't put Midtown in that bracket. I wouldn't put anywhere in around that Grand Central Penn Station into that bracket. Them, their commuter areas, that's why the bars went into them areas to deal with commuters, not to do with locals. 
But how have the city been to deal with Johnny? Because look, you could answer that question in a second. I just we were walking down Sunnyside the other day, and when the barman came out and he was looking out, he was just after opening two weeks ago, and he said, "There's a car across the road there. I'm watching him for the last week or two, undercover agents for for the city, waiting to see a restaurant step or a pub step step out of line and not serving really? food with a." And jeez, and you're just like looking. It's just stifling the economy. Like it's just. You can name who that bar owner is if you want, because clearly he smokes way too much weed. If he thinks there's an undercover bar sitting across the road watching his. Bar. Oh, not a bar. It's you know? the city. It's the city. It's the city agents. And now, I, oh, listen, we covered, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't disbelieve him. I would because yeah. they. It's a hundred percent. They are watching. Look, like, especially in the story when you look what happened there. And but like you have to feel for the bars in the in them scenarios, in the story in downtown around like the lads in St Mark's Place and stuff like that. Like people are buying trade. The big thing that's happening with a lot of bars is people are going down to the local off license in the bottle shop or wherever you call it, and they're buying cans and they're coming up and just standing around with these people. They're not even buying drinks from these bars. And then the bars are threatening to lose their license. Like, you're kidding me. Like, they got shut down by the government. You maybe pay the rent. So, Johnny, is there what's the outlook for the, for the long haul? I know the last time uh, you spoke to us on, on, on the podcast, um, you were saying September. I suppose. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought as well. I always had sort of September in my head. To be honest, well, right now I'm not allowed open because I'm not doing outdoor seating, and they haven't allowed any indoor. And again, me being pessimist, I'm not. I don't. I'm not being a pessimist about it. I think I'm just being realistic about it. I genuinely don't think they're going to open indoor anytime soon because if you look at the numbers, and I know people are probably sick of all this kind of stuff, but on a bar perspective, if you look, just what we talked about, everyone leaves the city in in the summer in general in a normal year. Prices of house sales are up all around in all the neighboring sort of, you know, states. So people are moving out, are going out to buy house, but people are out at holiday homes. Like I'm in Rhode Island myself at the moment, and there's a, the amount of people up here. But if we start opening up schools and start opening up offices in September, October, all them people are going to come back to the city. Numbers started spiking yesterday in New Jersey. So there are clearly people coming back from these other states, maybe down south, house party, who knows how it's happening. But that's what that's what New York's fear is going to be. So I think, and if you look at what he did last week, from Como started saying, come in and buy this and buy that. And then he started saying, wings isn't a meal, whatever that headline was, and all this kind of stuff. But to be fair to him, or to them in general, and I, this to me is a worldwide thing, that they're just trying to keep people at bay. Like they're just trying to give them everything and come up with rules, rather than just come straight out and say, guys, we're not open yet until there's a vaccine. Because they can't say that and they know the problem that they will have. So they'll make up stuff to try, just say, oh, well, you can't open. Like, like, do you think the schools are going to open? Personally, I don't think they're going to open to full capacity. There's no way they're going to do it. And if they do open, then the restaurants might open. But one's not going to open without the other. Like, you know what I mean? Who's going to, yeah, I, I just can't. Yeah, I don't know. I Personally, th- I, think it's, I, it, I think it's a bit over the top. I think they, oh, no, I don't I, doubt you. It's I, my, I, that's my I, point of view. Yeah. And they're, they're, no, I agree with yeah. you on that, but there's nothing we can do. These are the people that are Absolutely. in control. And I, I do agree with you. But I do think I don't see them opening bars in New York City. The one thing they've learned from around the world and around the States is, it is a lot of it is being caused from groups gathering in bars and house parties and all, whether we believe it or not, or whatever it is, but that's what they're going to tell us. So New York now went from being the worst place in the world and now Florida, whoever else has the title, and New York don't want that title back. They're too busy trying to burn the city down anyway, them two lads, so they don't want to be worried about other stuff, like, you know what I mean? So, yeah, so, so we'll just segue on to the visas. There, Larkin, just one, one question I wanted to ask before, because we spoke about this in our last podcast. Are you seeing a lot of people coming to you or a lot of people that have, like, we know a lot of people have just 
left, just dropped everything here, and they went back home to Ireland, and they're in a pickle now that they can't come back. Is there a lot of people that have left, and were you surprised that there was a lot of people left? Uh, not that many, to be honest. I mean, anecdotally, we talked about it a little bit separately. I have friends who've been here a long time, and they left, but you know, it's almost time for them to leave, really. But people who we deal with on visas, I feel like most of them have stayed. Uh, some went back and they are stuck at home at the moment. It's something we can talk about with the bands. Some people now are trying to figure out ways around, and there is ways around it. But I, I would say I probably would have expected more to leave almost of our clients. But they're all they're all good. They're all in status here. And for the most part, the bands we will talk about, they didn't overly affect people who are already here. You can still extend your status, you can change your status, you can change employers if there's any jobs available. But when you're outside the country, it's when it's harder. It depends from getting back in and the embassies are closed, which is a big problem. And we'll talk about it, but they, they say they're reopening, but it's very hard to get appointments. Since March, we've been scheduling appointments and they've just been getting routinely cancelled. We had some recently for the end of August in Dublin that I was pretty hopeful about that's five months since they closed and they're talking about reopening, but they just got cancelled and there's none available now after that. And it seems they're holding the appointments for the exceptions, like things in the national interest, like uh, doctors and things like that, which is great, but it, it's not ideal for the people who are stuck at home right now. I just wanted to give a full disclosure. I just wanted to, Larkin, thanks for coming on and talking to us about the visa. We got, Absolutely. I only put the word out yesterday. I contacted Irish Central who I wrote with last year. Um, they, they, Vernissim, they put out an article yesterday and we posted on Facebook and we got loads of, we got huge feedback. There was loads of emails came in. So there's a huge interest in it. So I'd like to uh, shout out to Irish Central for doing that uh, to, for us. Um, secondly, full disclosure, Larkin, you were my, um, my lawyer last year for myself and Laura. You were not only a lawyer for us, in the end, you were like a, a life coach for Laura. We had a, a lot of these issues. So, Larkin was my lawyer last year, and we got we came over on J1 uh, visas last year, myself and Laura. Uh, we did um, about a year here, and then we switched on visas. Laura's on the H1B1, and I'm on the O1, and we got them through Larkin. But we had a bit of trouble there over Christmas. And uh, fairness, Larkin, you were there. So, so thank you again for that. So, uh, Larkin, you just want to uh, give us a an outline so on what's happening with COVID and all the bans and the executive orders. What the hell is going on with the visa situation at the moment? Yeah, so just one thing to start, Michael, um, this shouldn't be taken as legal advice. There's so many exceptions. We're not going to touch on everything and every case is different. But, you know, if you do have questions, feel free to reach out to me or to another immigration attorney. But we'll give an overview on what I think is most important to probably your listeners and to the Irish community. Um, just going back to the start, really, I guess, from the middle of March, everything got shut down, really. Well, that's an overstatement, but one thing that got cancelled was visa interviews abroad and interviews here in New York. And positive signs we're seeing is that the interviews in New York are being rescheduled. So several of the interviews that our office had that were cancelled you know, at the last minute, literally the day before they were supposed to happen, they're being rescheduled now for August. So that's a good sign. Um, and the embassies, like we talked about, are reopening, but very slowly. Like they say they're open, but there's very few appointments available. They are responding to emails, so there's people there, but I think it's hard for them with social distancing and with trying to prioritize you know, 
very urgent cases. Um, the biggest ban probably that affects your listeners is the first one, which was the travel ban, which um, prevents entry to the US if you've been in Ireland, the UK, the Schengen zone, um, Brazil, China, or Iran within the last 14 days. Now, a couple of things that people have been doing to get around that. You could go to a third country uh, before entering the US. So we've had some clients who went to places like Istanbul, Dubai. It's hard to recommend where to go because the rules change so quickly. Um, and we don't, I don't claim to know the rules for those countries. I've learned since that you have to quarantine for two weeks in Dubai, for example. But you know, everywhere is different and things change so quickly. But that's one thing people have been looking to do because you're not banned from entering the US because you're Irish or anything. It's just because you've been in Ireland in the last two weeks. Um, there's been more exceptions released to them literally in the, in the last 10 days. And we've already had a few approvals. Uh, some that might be very relevant for listeners here are E2 visa holders, so investor visas or employees of companies that have them, they can apply to uh, the local embassy for a national interest waiver to show that it's in the national interest for them to enter the country. And since most of these companies would have invested a lot of money into the country, that's an argument we've made successfully for a couple of clients so far. Um, so that's a good one. And also for business travelers. So that can be people who are just coming on ESTA, but who have urgent business meetings here, they can enter the country. So that's good to see. Overall with that, I mean, everything's been very negative, but we are starting to see a little bit of positivity, which is good. Like bands, I don't want to speak too soon because they are supposed to assess the bands again in a couple of weeks. But in general, in the last week or two, they've been going in the right direction in that they're giving us these exceptions and they're approving the exceptions too, which is good to see. Um, the other band that probably affected a lot of listeners here was the one on June 24th that was for people with H1B, L and J visas. So they're probably very common ones that you both see a lot. And what they essentially said there was that they weren't issuing H1B, J visas or L visas till the end of the year. Um, now, people who are already in the US are allowed to extend their stay on those. So if you have a H1B, most H1Bs expire in August, September, October, you can still extend your stay. And But if you were to leave the country, you would be able to get a new H-1B to come back into the country. Uh, one thing that's actually changed on that recently is that if you had a valid H-1B, you can now go and renew it, but you still won't be able to get a new H-1B. So I guess to put that in practical terms, for people who applied in this year's lottery in March, they get their H-1B, get approved. Typically, it becomes active in October they won't be able to get that visa probably till December unless that ban is changed. Um, the other bans, there's another one for immigrant visas, which is green cards. So that's green cards to be issued abroad. Um, and there are certain exceptions to that, like investors or immediate relatives of uh, US citizens or spouses, essentially. And they're exempt from that, which is good to see, but it's still affecting a lot of people. Probably not as much of the listeners here, but still not ideal. And if you're on a green card, Larkin, I, I think the rule of the green card is if you're out of the country for more than six months, you lose the green card, is it, when you, when you come back in? So if you went home, are you allowed back in on a green card? Yeah, so green card or permanent resident is allowed to leave and enter the country. Okay. Um, 
spouse of a permanent resident or a citizen or all those allowed to enter the country um, without a waiver. Um, on that, so it's not that you lose your green card if you're outside the country for more than 180 days. What there is is there's a rebuttable presumption that you've abandoned your permanent residence. So I'm always at pains to, to, to explain to clients that it's not a green card, it's a permanent resident card. So you need to be permanently residing in the US. And what a rebuttable presumption is, is that when you're out for more than 108 days, the burden of proof shifts to you. So now the ball is on in your court to prove to immigration to those border patrol officers in Dublin or Shannon, New York, wherever it may be, that you have not abandoned your residence. And if someone is at home right now for more than 180 days, like the advice from me and most attorneys will always be, you know, try not to break that 180 days. But if you have to, I think there is plausible grounds right now for why you weren't here during the 180 days. Like okay. People have health issues and whatnot. And what about, um, would there be a lot of people now on the J1 one-year grad visa that have been here and they're expiring now, Larkin? What, what kind of a situation are, are they in now? If they, if they, if they, I spoke to a guy a couple of weeks ago, I met him out on Long Island, his visa just expired, his, his uh, grad visa, he just stayed here and he was after, he just overstayed. And I, like, is there any recourse for someone like that or will COVID be a big ex- exception to the rule? Uh, it might be in some situations for the J1, the, all J1s go through sponsoring agencies, which probably dealt with like use or one, but there's 92 of them, or they fluctuate, but usually around 92. And they were actually issuing extensions. So if your J1 was set to expire sometime between March and June, they were giving people an extra couple of months, and they're still actually issuing some of those extensions. So some people are getting those um, for the guy you mentioned, I mean, there are ways to change and extend your status. If he's here and he's still on his grace period, he could file for an extension of status or change to a different type of visa to stay here, at least till he figures things out. Even if he hasn't overstayed by too long, you could request forgiveness. There's a, a legal definition called non-proton, where that's Latin for now for then, where now we knew that. Johnny knew that, yeah. We knew that. Yeah. We, knew that. <laughs> we were going to say that, actually. I, was actually just, I didn't want to interrupt you. So <laughs> Sorry. Num for, tongue, very... num for tongue, was it? Num for tongue, yeah. <laughs> getting very nerdy here. But what oh, I mean, <laughs> you're, like means, you're like Del Boy. <laughs> <laughs> just means that Del, if your status expired on August 10th and you're here on August 15th, you're asking them to treat now as then as August 10th. It, it doesn't always work, but rather than just overstaying, it's probably worth a try. Is there an issue lurking with people now on the sorry, E1 or E2 visas? Can they go in and go out? Is that an investment visa, is it? That's an investment visa, so they can't necessarily go in and out, but they can request a waiver. So you, it's all happening right now, but we've requested a few of them. You have to email your closest embassy. So if you're going back to Ireland or the UK, you email the embassy in Dublin or London. You explain why you think you should be granted the exception. They usually get back to you within five days and they'll say yay or nay. Um, and the, you have to be traveling within 30 days. So what people can do in that situation is if they book a flight back to the US for 30 days from now, even if they're still here, they can request the exception to take that flight back in 30 days. Right. But is there a chance, like, I know, like, they're the terms of what, like, it says legally to do. We all know what Dublin Airport can be like and stuff like that. Are you getting any stories of people getting griefed by anybody? Like, they're told one thing, say, or legally they're allowed to do it, and then when they get there, again, it's a bit like me with the loans and everything, everything changes so much. 
even in defense of the guy in Dublin airport or Shannon, he could be easy saying, no, you're not allowed back in. You're not an American citizen. You're not a green card holder. Do you have any issues? Stuff like that for clients. No, not yet. And yeah, in fairness to the guys in Dublin and Shannon, like I deal with them a lot. And in these situations, like we call them and ask them questions, ask them to clarify and on That's Twitter good. as well. Now they're answering a lot. And often they're as lost as everyone else is, yeah. especially when these bands just came out. Like I had a lot of personal interest in the, the Muslim band when it first came out. And like the way these things are written does make a lot of sense. Like for example, that, that one said, if you're admitted as a permanent resident, so when you, after your green card interview, you're admitted as a permanent resident. That's what that's legally called, even though you're in the country. So me and other lawyers all assumed, well, they're not going to issue green cards from within the country. And I called Border Patrol and they're like, they, they said, no, we don't think that's what it means at all. We understand that's what it sounds like, but it's just they can't write it all correctly, it seems. So uh, the guys are struggling. But so far, no like scary stories of that, that people have been told they're approved and then not. That's good. And is your advice just, just to check with a lawyer before before you do any travelling or Yeah, I mean, best advice, and I'm sorry to say it, is just to stay put as much as possible, you know? Totally, you know, that. I, totally yeah. Totally agree. I follow that myself, you know, we're not going anywhere, but if if you have to go, and I know some people do, then yeah, speak to a lawyer, and you're assuming the risk is how I look at it, you know, we're here to protect you and do our best, but people are going knowing there's a ban and they're okay with that and I'm fine with those clients you know they're happy to go and, and that's fine uh, but oftentimes too you see people go and then a couple of months later maybe it changes a little bit so I would say think long and hard and stay in, if you want to stay in the US long term then staying here in the short term right now is probably your best bet. So Larkin you're saying there's a, a for the E2 visa you might get away with it but for the likes say if you're on an O1 visa or a H1 visa and you went and you went home are you restricted coming back in or? Yeah, so there's no exceptions yet so, for those visas. So if you're on those visas, you go home, you're not getting back in until until <laughs> the travel ban is probably 2021 at this stage, would it be? Yeah, we're we're always speculating now, of course. but Yeah, speculating, but I would expect, yeah, this will run till the end of the year, till hopefully there's a different president. But uh, there is, you could, and again, it's hard Don't to upset respond. Michael. Don't upset Michael there, Lord. <laughs> The minute you said that, I just looked at his face to see the smirk. Um, well, the, ele- uh, the election has been postponed. <laughs> Did you yeah, see that yeah. today? <laughs> um, you could, in that situation, try to go to a, a third country. We just lost you there, Larkin. Yeah, I just you said there that there might have been a, people going to other embassies. Or... Uh, going, well, so not other option, yeah. embassies, but going to other countries. So again, yeah, if you're two weeks in another country then you can enter the US but that is plagued with risks too like of saying that the bands keep changing and one thing we're seeing a lot of is flights keep getting cancelled um, like even from I was thinking the smartest move would be go to a big city like Dubai, Istanbul um, but I have a client in Istanbul who she lives there so it wasn't as difficult but she kept her flights kept getting cancelled before the last then we thought student visas would be included and she needed to get back but um so yeah it's if you go there you know you might be stuck there longer than you had hoped now that o visa michael that's like an entertainment visa is that what that's classes is that what the one you're talking about an o visa i leave lark and uh define it <laughs> no well sorry we'll, well i'm not even asking uh, about yours say so let's say you're saying yeah. that people on o visas can not necessarily come back so pga tour golfer his wife is caddy the whole lot. 
they would be on they'd be on Obisa, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they're, 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 they're coming in and out. They're coming yeah. in and out. How come? There are exceptions. I didn't even okay. know this till I was researching for today because it's not one you see too often. But yeah, there's an exception for professional athletes coming for an event. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. Their spouses would be on the same one, so I'm sure they could probably swing in and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll just tell Sketches to stay in Florida then. I just was checking on behalf of him. <laughs> Connor Sketches. So, Larkin, do you want to go through? Do you want to switch on? Do you want to say any more on the, the bands or do you want to go on to the. Well, I think that's pretty good. I guess the key things for people to appreciate is yeah, traveling back from Ireland. It's difficult right now um, that the H1B ban is still is in place. That you won't get a, a new H1B until January unless you already had one because you can renew it. But even that's plagued with risk because there's no appointments at embassy. So I guess staying put is key. Okay. This is a hard, sorry, Michael, I just one thing, because I'm sure there'll be people who are listening, and there's not really an answer to this anyway, Lorcan. So, for people at the moment that would be illegal living here, obviously this time has been brutal for them, because it's always been brutal. But you were in the everyday life, you were just going and everything was fine, and you know, you were just, whatever world you were living in, and that was it. Right now... I I don't know what like even the question I'm asking you is like because there was never an amnesty coming down the road. I'm sure there wasn't. But even now, again, you're saying a new president coming in down the road. Would you fear for them people even more so now because we don't know what way it's going to be for them? Or you know, I'm sure when Michael asked earlier, do we know many people that went home? I'm sure they're the ones originally that were just thinking like, is enough is enough. But there again, we say that, and I'm sure you've come across them over the years. These are the same people that were probably here for 9-11. They were here for the crash of 08. Now they're here for something else. And every month and every six months they're staying here. Like, there's no welfare for these people. There's no everything. The, the guys in the Bronx did an amazing thing through the, the, the money they raised for the, all sorry. these people. Solange, sorry. And what, you know, I'm not, I suppose I'm asking, what would your advice be to these people? Or is there an advice you would give them? Yeah, it's tricky. Like, because I've been doing this over 10 years now and, I feel like based on the 80s, and you probably would have seen this, Johnny, when you first yeah. got here, that people were expecting amnesties because they had happened. Totally. And, and it, like you said, it was 9-11, and it was this, and it was that, like it was Obama. It was always something. A, a firm I, mm. I used to work at on their website had, like, waiting for reform, and it was a skeleton with cobwebs on it at a desk, you know, because yeah. we were waiting, and it never Our happened. Stuff the buses to Washington and all these things over the years and everything. And you're right, like I'm 20 years here and I've never seen anything. And you hear stories now about the Donnellys and the Morrisons and all these things that were years ago. But now they seem like they were like 30 years ago. But in actual fact, they were like, they were 30 odd years ago. So there isn't an amnesty. And I'm not, mean you're not here to say there isn't one around, but proof has shown us that there's nothing like that in the pipeline anyway. And so you would just fear for these people because even going home now and all, you know, it's very easy people say, oh, will they go home? go home they're probably here since they're in their early 20s or late teens they don't this is home they don't know any different like you know yeah and wishful thinking i mean you could say and this isn't really an immigration attorney it's not my place to talk about it as much but you know just personally you could say that the, you know a new president we could have an amnesty and get a lot of new taxpayers, get some money back into the coffers. And right. Like for example, but it was the same post 9 11, it was the same post everything. We sure. Could, yeah. yeah. You know, there would be I a mean, change. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm hearing it's 25 years. You're right. All right, Michael. Larkin, do you, um, 
there was an, there was talks last year of the, that E three visa being um, spread around the Irish. Has there been any more talk about it? That was the Australian visa. There was ten thousand uh, spots every year for Australians. They were using half of them, and there was it went to a vote in the Senate, I believe. And there was one senator that voted, voted it down. There was going to be five thousand E three visas coming Ireland's way. Uh, did that? Is there any talk about that being um, yeah put forward again? It came up again. It's still in process, but I don't know. With everything that's going on right now, I'm not too confident yeah. that things will pass. But just to talk a little bit about that, the E3 is a great visa. It would be great if it passed for Irish people. It's um, most visas you deal with, like you mentioned, the O and the H1B, they're what we call petition based visas. So you have to file a petition with USCIS here in the US. They have to approve it, which is hard enough to get done. And then if that's approved, you take that approval to the embassy and they issue a visa. It's just two steps that are pretty tricky. Whereas with the E3, it's not petition-based. You just you have to file an application with the Department of Labor, but that should be approved. And then once that's done, you just go directly to the embassy. And from what I found with dealing with Australians who have them, you know, I would I can't think if we've had any denied, or, and I doubt many attorneys have. It's not just us. They're, they're very easy to get approved. They take about three weeks to process. It's it's great status. So it would be great if we could get a push through for the Irish. And has there, there was a lot of talk, of course, in the last couple of weeks about uh, the, the DACA people. Um, is there any Irish people that would be under that DACA executive order that uh, President Obama uh, signed a couple of years ago. Is there many Irish who, that that would come under? Yeah, I don't want to say many, but there's definitely some. Like we have a couple of clients who came here as children and have stayed since. I would say the Irish centres, like the Emerald Isle and the Ashling Centre, they could probably talk more to that. But I'm sure there's more than we think. Yeah. Okay, so Larkin, will you go down I, on your website there, uh, you've got all the list of visas that your your office uh, close to Times Square discusses or processes. Would you go through a couple of them, explain what they are, explain how long it takes for people to apply and how, how long the whole thing will go through? Sure. Um, yeah, I guess a good one to start with that Johnny mentioned earlier is the old one. Um, and the old one, the great thing about it is it's really broad. Like it applies to PGA golfers. It was originally designed with artists in mind, but it's been expanded to include business people, um, people in the arts, and the arts is very broadly defined, uh, athletes, uh, academics. So you can, the great thing about the old one is if you're really good at what you do, then you can get it. It's not really defined by a specific occupation like other visas are or a specific role within a company. And one of the positives about the old one is that you can apply any time uh, you don't have to, some visas have quotas, and we'll probably talk about it in a minute. You can only apply at a certain time of year. There's only so many available. Um, but the old one, you can apply any time. And if you meet the standards, you get approved. You then take that to the embassy and hopefully get it issued. That's a really good one. And a lot of Irish people, I think it's very, uh, it's a hot topic with Irish people. A lot of different people have it. Um, and so it's a good category. Um, another one you and I have talked about is the H-1B. That's something we deal with a lot. H-1B has its pros and its cons. Like it's a visa I would have, well, I started on a student visa when I moved here, but then that would have been my first working visa. The, 
the problem with it is that you can only apply once a year. So they've changed the system this year to actually make it easier to apply, which is great. So now there's an online lottery between March 1st and March 20th. You pay a $10 fee and you can enter. So that's great because for years you had to submit the entire application, and which was a lot of work for us. It was a lot of money for clients to enter a lottery where they may not get picked. Now it's 10 bucks to enter. Um, and people can do that themselves. Like we help clients do it, but it's something that most could probably do themselves as well. And then only if you're picked, you need to pay the fees. Yeah, um, yeah I remember Laura running around for loads of documents last year for months, and then you don't even know if you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Laura. No, no problem. Um, so yeah, with the H1B, what you're trying to prove is that you're in a specialized occupation. And again, that sounds trickier than it is. What, what you're showing there is that you're doing a job that requires a specific type of degree and that you have that degree or that you have the equivalent of a degree based on experience. So the typical ones that are listed in the law are, as examples of H-1B occupations, are engineers, doctors, lawyers, accountants and teachers. But it's much broader than that. Like you probably know a lot of people in marketing and business roles that have them. And it is a great option, but because of demand, there's you know there's 85,000 available each year and there's about 250,000 applicants. One thing we talked about uh, over text, Michael, was that after the last recession, in 2008-2009, they were getting more H-1B applications than they had been for the last five years. And then it completely tanked to the point that there was no lottery. Like when I got my first H-1B, you just had to apply and you got it essentially. Um, that could be one that may be wishful thinking, but that could be a silver lining next next April that there's far fewer applicants. I think there'll definitely be fewer applicants, whether it falls to the point that there's no lottery, that would be great for whoever is applying anyway, because often the hardest part is the lottery. And uh, Larkin, there's a few people email in about a lot of the visas, their home in Ireland. Is there, do you have a lesser chance or more of a chance being in, the, being in America applying for those visas? I know the difficulty with the H-1B is you need a sponsor from a company here in America. So if you're at home applying for jobs, it's going to be very hard to find a sponsor to sponsor you for H-1B when you're over in Ireland and the chances are they don't know anything about you. Yeah, that's probably the hardest thing. I mean, technically, you can apply for any visa for within the U.S. or from outside the U.S. and it doesn't matter where you're applying for really for the most part, but yeah, just convincing an employer to hire you. And the tricky part with the H-1B is the logistics. You have to convince them in March. At best, you're going to start working in October. And this year, because of the ban, at best, you're going to start in January. So it's generally, you see people who've already been here on a J-1 visa and made those connections. But it is possible, for sure. I guess, from an entry-level perspective, these are the people in Ireland could use to come here one that I've always pushed because it's something I did was come on a student visa and um, go to school in the US and like everyone always thinks it costs a fortune and does in some cases but it doesn't have to like you can go to lots of different schools um, there's so many schools in the US and lots of really good ones that don't cost that much like a CUNY system in New York is great and it's much much cheaper um, so that's one to consider so you're, you're recommending coming here doing a college degree and getting a grad visa after it or? No, when you come here as a student and graduate from US college, you're not actually eligible for the J1 graduate visa, but you do get what's called OPT, optional practical training, which you're allowed to work for a year after graduation. Um, 
and if you're in STEM, okay. science, technology, engineering, and maths, you can get almost three years of work authorization. And you actually get a work authorization card, so you have to work in your field, but you're much more employable. It's not like with the J1, the grad visa for J1s is great, but you still have to get them to sign off and prove that you're doing a valid internship. Whereas with OPT, it's, you still have to be working in your field, but it's much more straightforward. Okay. So just to, a question there that some people have asked, they're in their mid twenties, they're at home, they're doing college a couple of years ago. They want to come to America. How, what kind of a visa should they go for? Or obviously it's every case is different, but like, what are the, what are the, the best options? Yeah, every case is different, but I guess, like I said, there the student visa, the good entry level visa. Another one I look at a lot is there's a J1 visa for professional career training, which is for 18 months. Now, you still need a sponsor for that, but it's not like H1B where you have to apply at a certain time and pay a fortune. You can apply any time. They don't, the employer doesn't have to commit to a certain salary like they do with the H1B. The employer doesn't even have to pay the fees. So you can go if you can find an employer that's going to take on for a training program then it's much easier for them and i know <coughs> clients of mine people i deal with and they've become friends since but they when they were looking to move here they were essentially going to employers saying i can take care of all of that and that's probably a stretch you know that's an exaggeration but that, that is a good one the j1 for professional right. career training and every time i mention it to people I get calls like you just described all the time and I say, well, there's a J1. People will say, well, don't you have to be in college? But there's lots of different types of J1s. There's J1s for teachers, for nurses, for all pairs, and that one is, is a good one. You just have to show you have a degree and one year of experience or five years of experience in a specific field. Yeah, that's the thing. People think of J1 as the J1 was coming over for the 90 days are doing the grad visa but there's there's so many more and just to get let listeners know i actually what i did was i did a j i actually went back to college i did a second master's a couple of years ago that entitled me i had 12 months then to use the grad visa so i applied for the grad visa and i got a 12 month grad visa to come here and then when i was here i started i went to you i think it was march last year uh larkin and we got the process rolling for, for the old one so just, if you are here get a get the process rolling quickly but that's what why I did I had to go back to college do another degree to come over here I wanted to do I wanted to do the, the degree anyway but that gave me the option to come here Laura on the other hand she did a J1 she did the trainee visa so she got a job with a guy here it was to improve to improve her career prospects so she got that for 18 months and then when we were here we were able to she was able to build up the connections with her job then apply for the H1B and I was able to make the connections or just you know, get the material together for the O1. So there, there's ways around, there was ways around it, but there's a lot of visas out there. That's and Michael's 48 too. years of age for anyone that's listening. So it's <laughs> never, it's never too, never too late. Like, you know, mature <laughs> student. <laughs> Eternal student, boy. <laughs> As I put a pillow behind my back. <laughs> That's a good point though, Michael, and Johnny, you probably see this, like, and I see it with clients a lot too, that, you know, there aren't that many options. I mean, we're talking about the options, but really when you break it down, the alphabet visas, there's really not that many, and definitely not that many that people are eligible for. And Irish people always come to me and say, I don't want to bring it up to my boss, or I don't want to talk about it, I'm too early in the job. Really, you've nothing to lose. I mean, especially if you're going for the H1B, the deadline is the deadline and there aren't that many magic solutions after that you know there's a few things we'll talk about like green card options which is a good option for a lot of people now but you know you really have to be assertive and kind of make that move and say 
you know, will you sponsor me or will you help me with this? <laughs> Worst case scenario, they say, no, you're in the same position, you know? Yeah. So, so but you're right there. That is the, sorry, go on. Yeah, go on, go on, Johnny, go on. No, because I was even going to say, Michael, if you wanted to tell your story, didn't like, and I've seen that over the last few years where, say, businesses and stuff started to realize that their visa wasn't as strong or it might have only been eight and just don't want to invest the time, maybe. And if you do have an issue, Michael, with Fox or something, I don't know if you wanted to mention that. Didn't you start yeah, out there? But they realized, you know. Yeah, like uh, it might have sounded it might have sounded there that we did the process and that we came along here yeah. and we had an awful two years of getting the visa and it, yeah. was, uh, it was just getting the visa and then when we got the visa, there's so many restrictions attached to the visa that I had gotten a job. I was working with Irish Central and I was kind of doing part time there with them and I had gotten I actually had gotten a, I applied for a job with Fox. I got a job with Fox News. Yeah, Fox 24-7. And what the arrangement was, I had a range of our central. It was only freelance. It was just to do kind if of... If ever there was a guy that wanted to work in Fox, and <laughs> loved the idea of working in Fox. He probably turned down CBS and CNN. <laughs> So like I, 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 so I had my visa signed off with our central. So they, ha- I was on the grad visa with our central. Do it a couple of days a week with them. You are supposed to do like minimum 30, 30 hours a week. And I, I took the job because it was, geez, you're working with a major news corporation. And uh, worked with them for about a week. And then HR said, uh, oh, you can't work with us because of your visa. You have to stay with our central and uh so that was it was we'll talk to you next week but they never talked to me next week so there was but that's devastating then it's like and so it's good that the people know that there is that obviously that, that like that must have been devastating for you like it must have been like good like you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah there's yeah. and it, yeah it was yeah for me as the people know me like that's yeah that that was one of my i'll get there yet like but uh no but, yeah, you will, but, but like but, regardless but, of like oh, where the yeah. place was but for anyone to come over and here you are and like that's probably like you're heading in your train there, heading in 47th Street, and the buzz of it, whatever, no matter who it was, and then a week later, just to find out something yeah. like this, and it's, I don't blame the big, cor- I don't blame these companies, because they probably just look at this and go, oh, you know what, yeah. just get an American, let's just get someone with a full-time visa, you know, but fortunately, it could have been so easy for them to keep you, they could have just, as Larkin just said there, it's very easy for them to do it, like, but. Yeah, if it was a smaller news organisation, it would have been fine, but the fact that it was big, and probably what was more, what was even more devastating was because when I was working at Central, I was looking to progress on, and you're applying for jobs. I was spending all my spare time applying for jobs, and at the end of the day, I couldn't do anything until I moved on to a new visa. So it was just kind of months and months of, like, once you do get the visas, what I will say is there is a lot of restrictions, and we'll flush it out in in, in other episodes, but there are, like, it, it wasn't a fairy tale for me, go to college, do your degree, come here. Laura came here with her guy, with her first, she came here, she got a job on her trainee visa. The guy thought she was a free, tra- uh, basically a free trainee for a couple of weeks, didn't want to pay her. <laughs> so, yeah. she, so then she was told, she couldn't work with him anymore and she had 30 days then to find a new job and we were landed then so luckily she found a new job in the end but you know it's it's fraught with obstacles but look what i will say to people is if you really want if you really want to come to america if you really want to come here and move you'll make it work and we made it work now it's going to be hard it's going to be tough a lot of paperwork a lot of stress but if you want there are options there as larkin will say but um you know, if you, you, you will get there if you put your head down and you really want it that much. And that's all I can say from our experience. Hello, folks. Just a quick shout out to thank everyone for listening. And we would really appreciate if you could rate the podcast and subscribe. Building our audience will enable us to get more podcasts to you more regularly. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at The Long Haul Podcast to keep up to date for upcoming interviews and latest news. 
A couple of other options, Michael, that we usually go through with clients would be the L1 visa. And I always say this to people on J1s in particular. I know it sounds terrible, the idea of leaving New York or wherever you are for a year. But if you work for a company for one year outside of the US, then you can transfer back on an L visa potentially as a either a specialized knowledge worker or a managerial capacity. And, you know, if you say you outside the US, Larkin, or just outside New York? No, outside the US. So if you okay. like if you're working for a company here and you go to their London office for a year, then they okay. can bring you back. And yeah, people always think it sounds terrible, but it has so many benefits over other visas in that there's no lottery. If if you're here already and you can potentially negotiate it with the company to come back, it, it can be a great option. Um, another one to look at too that we it's harder to get, but the e-visa is something that it's for investors, but also for the employees of companies who have invested here. So if there's a big Irish-owned business, it, they're probably an e-visa company. So, and it, for that, that's Irish-owned for people who haven't become citizens yet in the US. So, you know, your Irish-American who set up a business wouldn't work, but your company from Ireland setting up here would. Um, and that's something people could maybe tailor their search. If you work for an Irish company at home that has offices here, they could potentially send you on an e-visa. Or if you're coming here on a J-1, you tailor your search towards them. The good thing about those companies too is that they're usually pretty sympathetic and pretty helpful in the process in that they've been through it, they know what it's like. Not like, you know, at Fox News, the experience you had, you know, they're just doing their jobs, but they're very much these are the rules and we can't keep you. And the Irish companies as well are following the rules, but at least they appreciate, I know you really want to stay, I'll try my best for you. If an Irish company wanted to set up in the States, say, so me and Mike are now sitting in Cove, we're in Cork, and we want to set up a company in America, as it, obviously to have the business, but equally then just as a way of getting our visas and stuff like that, how much do they have to spend? How much, uh, is there a figure like? There's no set amount. So it says you have to invest a substantial amount required to set up a business. The minimum I always say is at least 100,000. And the thing with that is it has to be spent. Like people get the idea that they'll just put that in an account. And <laughs> that's, not, yeah, that's not what they, they want to say. Like they think it's like getting a year visa going to Australia years ago. You never had any money, but you had to have $1,000 in your account. Just go to yeah, credit they, union, borrow 1000 give it back to them, walk to Australia with no money in your pocket. <laughs> The, the law says, the exact words are, it has to be irrevocably committed. And the e-visa actually, which is for investors, is it's another visa that isn't petition-based, which means it goes straight to the embassy. And it's one of the few visas that the embassy has so much control over. So they're really on top of it. And they, they do a good job in that they give you all the information you need, but they are pretty strict. So they'll go through bank statements line by line. And like we've had requests for evidence from embassies where they're asking like, what was this spent on? What was that spent on? They want itemized details on it. So it is pretty hard. What I usually say to people there is that, you know, if you have a hundred thousand or more to, to spend, you're probably better off going to school. Like the e-visa should be a product of the business. So you set up a business and you get the visa as a result. Because if you're going in with the idea of I'm going to spend this money to get a visa, you're probably not going to spend it. Like those people are always going to... Oh, listen, the, the lads I'm talking about have it under a mattress now. You know, <laughs> these lads are not going to school. He can ask the other questions. I'll ask the, lads the mattress money. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, if you... I knew, I knew people that done it years ago is the reason I'm saying so. It's irrelevant now. I'm not naming names, but I remember people that done it years ago. And I just remember it being a pretty long process for them. 
and they were genuine. They were genuinely like one of them was in the bar business, the other was in construction, and it was a very long process. But like anything, as Michael said, the paperwork was there for you if you just did everything by the book and did everything. And they're both like both live in New York still, like American citizens now. So they, you know, I'm just curious what the number was. It used to be all these numbers thrown around. You have to spend this now, but it's good to know that you have to spend it and that they're actually pretty on top of where all the money went. Yeah, and it does vary from embassy to embassy. Some are a little more lenient, others aren't. But yeah, as an attorney, we're always going to push to spend as much as possible. Even just if you spend a hundred and had another couple of hundred in the account, they like that. It shows credibility, you know. Sure. Dorkin, what's the situation with uh, users now on the J one visa? So, well, users have gone into liquidation. They went bang, didn't they? Last year, yeah. I remember. One thing to note about users, users are essentially, uh, I don't know how to describe them best, but they're, they're really a marketing company. That they're scam artists, that's what they are. I'll <laughs> say Larkin. They make the kids pay their flights, everything through them, and charge them extortion prices. Like if young kids trying to come out and make money, and not every kid has it from their parent. I see it in our industry, obviously, a lot, because they come over. And it's funny when Michael was saying earlier on about New York being dead in the summer, just it always made me laugh when you'd see students coming to New York in the summer. He's like, why are you not in Montauk? Why are you not in Rhode Island or wherever? But that user thing, they tell you the figures, and it's just, I'm, I was glad they went bust. And that's just being honest with you. I'm delighted they went bust. Oh. Scam artists. What they're doing too is representing a J1 agency here. So that agency, CIEE, which a lot of people have probably dealt with, they still exist. They'll always exist. I think they're one of the oldest uh, J1 agencies. And so they, they are still available. And there's, like I was saying earlier, there's 92 J1 agencies. So I, I never had great experiences with years it either. And I'd, I'd recommend people always apply to, like they're called RIAN now, it used to be the Irish International Immigration Center in Boston. There's the Irish Institute in Pittsburgh. They also offer the same service. There's, there's tons of them. If you, That's good to know. Yeah, we, we went through use it. I, I have to say we had a good experience with use it when we were at home and the, the, the people in there were very helpful. But when we came over here and we were dealing with CIE, that was another, that was another story. So, yeah. So, um, but does everyone have to go through CIE then when they're here, Larkin, if you're on? Not necessarily CIE. So the Irish Institute in Pittsburgh, for example, they're an agency like CIE. So they, okay. they issue what's called a DS-2019. They, they're authorized by the Department of State to give you the documents you need to go get the visa. And then when you're here, they're supposed to manage your program. So that's why they're following up with you. They're trying to make sure your job is in the right place because they get audited at the end of the year. And if too many people have overstayed or not done the job they're supposed to, they could lose their authority. So if there if COVID didn't happen this year, Larkin, would there, would there would there have been a huge dip in the number of J one students coming to America for the summer with users folding, or were they were they still processing applications? Or I think I don't think there would have been a dip because there's other agencies, but they users fell right around the start of COVID, right? I presume COVID yeah, I was so. one of the one of the factors anyway. Um, but I wonder. Jonathan, have you noticed this? Like, has there been a dip in J1ers overall, do you think? Um, yeah, I often kind of thought about it, but I used to think maybe they're getting smarter as regards they're not coming to the city as such. So I used to think there was an element of that. Then every now and then you would see, like, there was clusters of them here and there. Like, I was really, and I know we talked about this in a pod earlier in the year, Michael. Like, I was so, that to me was one of the saddest things of the whole thing, is the J1ers that are losing out for this whole year. Like, you did, that, it's a generation thing. Like, you came in a J1. 
you lived with lads around J1 that are also living here, people and stuff like that. You take that year away from them now and we won't see the effects of that in 10 years' time when you lose that whole people. You know, your older brother went to America, you would then go. And if, so I don't think really the city yet hasn't been as appealing to them. But then every year you'd kind of be surprised, and especially with the long haul, you'd sort of see next thing you'd have a random game on. You'd see all these Czech winners and you'd be delighted. Like, it's great to see. But I just think, for me, I don't think they're going, I know this sounds funny, but they're not going to the cliche areas as such. And that's why we don't see them as much. Whereas they're not necessarily going to a, um, you know, Woodlawn, Woodside, Sunnyside, where I am and stuff like that. They're everywhere. Like Bushwick, just look on the J1 graduate page. And there's a, like, in a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a room going in Bushwick like every couple of weeks, like, you know what I mean? And they're all there. And any of the girls that work for us, pretty much all of them had lived in Brooklyn at some point. So sort of. like when I came here years ago, not, none of them went that direction. So... I do know from being up here now where I am, I've spoke to a lot of the local businesses here and they're, they're missing them big time. Like there's a couple of places I would have gone to here over the years I've been coming up here and I, I would have known like this is where there's a lot of people in Cork come to this direction because it's the sister city with Kinsale and there you see the owners in the places this year working and they said that they were really like just devastated for losing out on the J1ers and hopefully it doesn't change it because it, it definitely... I don't know whether it was the boom times or whatever it happened. Have you ever been to Marcus Vineyard or any of them or Nantucket? No, they were all Irish kids back in the 90s and even into the noughties. And then out of nowhere, it just stopped. There was whatever college they were winning. They just didn't come then in the mid-noughties or whatever like that. And all the kids there now are pretty much Albanian in, in both of them islands. And the Irish kids just stopped coming over. Because a lot of them, I think, do have connections with whether it be Limerick or whatever it be, different colleges. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's been a big drop-off as such. They're just spread out more. They're just more of interest. Credit to them. They'll go work and they, they want to go do something else, you know. But the likes of Montauk and places like here, I'd say they, I'd say they really felt it this year and I haven't them. So, so Larkin, there's um, an F1 visa as well, is there? And a, and a K and I don't know, every letter of the alphabet. I don't know how you keep up with it. But just yeah. br- briefly go over some of the other ones and then we'll hit the, the green card process because yeah. I need to I, I need to know about that because <laughs> yeah. I forgot what you told me oh, said, you do that <laughs> I get the bag of free consultation yeah, here yeah. <laughs> I'll be a witness my immigration law professor actually used to have a song to go through all the different visas say yes. a to, a to B. I won't sing it but it was pretty funny <laughs> it was a bit of a character how um, many is there actually just uh, do you know what's uh, on your head I think V might be the last one, so A to V, but then there's subcategories wow. of each, so like you have the H1B, I mean. the H2B, yeah. H1B1. E1, um, E2. Yeah, oh exactly. God. So there's quite a few, but really, the ones we're talking about are kind of the big ones. You, you, you have others, but they don't come up all that often. Um, so the, the F1 is the student visas, like we talked about. The K1 is something I did want to highlight as part of this. We got a few emails about it. You know, we're going to do questions in a little while. But um, K1 is fiancé visa. People always ask about it. I think not always the right choice for people. But how it works is you have to file an application here. So that the U.S. citizen fiancé files an application or petition. Once that's approved, it gets sent to the embassy, and then the person in Ireland or wherever it may be goes to the embassy, hopefully gets the K-1 visa issued, and they can come here, and they have to get married within 90 days of getting here. Um, And then once they're here and they get married, they file for their green card, just 
like a lot of people would when they're already here and they get married and they call for the I'm sorry to stop you, Larkin. Is that, is, is that in every state? Do states vary? Uh, no, that's in every state. So immigration okay. law is federal, so it's always the same. Okay. Um, but yeah, I feel like you hear a lot more about the K-1 than is often necessary because most of the time people who are looking at it, they're already here, they're in a relationship. So in that situation, if they're here in a certain status, they can probably get married and file for what we call adjustment of status. That's when you apply for your green card here already. It'd be much more common in countries where it's harder to get here. So like people from Russia or Asia, where they can't travel as freely, they would use the K-1 a lot more. But the, the reason it's important right now is because with all these bans, they're listing exceptions for spouses of US citizens, but not for fiancés. And a lot of people have approved petitions, but they're not in the categories that are getting expedited at the embassy. So you have a lot of fiancés who are just stuck outside of the US waiting, and they would be an immediate relative if they could get here and get married, but they can't. So it's something I think is important to highlight right now, because um, they're just being pretty poorly treated, considering they are coming here to get married, they just can't right now. And does, would their 90 days get, get extended? So if that's the case, Lorcan, if they're stuck outside with the... Yeah, so the, the visa can get reissued by the embassy if you can't travel, so that they'll, it, they'll get reissued, but it's kind of a situation of who knows when. And for the most part, they've already been through a long slog. So the, the initial petition from the US citizen probably takes six months, then to get called for the embassy interview is probably another three months, and then once you get the embassy interview, you get issued and you can come here, but you're looking at about a year at that point. One question I know we did get was, are they even still processing the petitions for someone who had filed in February? They are still being processed, so things are still happening here. It's just when it gets to the embassy, then you have to wait to be called for interview, and those interviews aren't happening right now. Okay. So do you want to switch on to the green card, Larkin, and the the whole green card process, explain what it is and just the, the layman's terms and then... Sure, uh, yeah, for employment-based green cards, there's EB1 to 5, so EB is employment-based, and 1 to 5, they're kind of in a sliding scale. Um, EB1 has a couple of categories. The main category you probably hear about is, it's essentially the equivalent of the old ones, the Extraordinary Ability Green Card. Um, one thing I would say, it's again, like the old one, it's more achievable standard than it sounds. That gives you extraordinary ability, it sounds difficult, but the when you break it down to the individual standards, like have you worked at a high level, have you got a high salary, things like that, people can't meet them. Um, then EB2 and 3 are probably the ones we hear about most. So EB2 and EB3, for the most part, are labor cert based. Uh, the labor cert process is what you hear about a lot. That's when you test the labor market. You can you prove that you can't find anyone willing or able to do your job. And if you can't find anyone, then you file a labor cert. The Department of Labor will review that and say, okay, we accept that you couldn't find anyone, and they approve it. And then you're at that point, you're eligible to apply for your green card. So, um, so, so just stop you. So an employer would have to prove the case that they can't find anyone else to do that job. So you're, you, you need a sponsor for the EB2 and EB3. And just go back to the, the first one for the extraordinary ability. You don't need a, a sponsor really for the O1 visa. So do you need a sponsor for the, that category of green card? No, that's correct. So that's what we call self-petitioned. So the, the applicant can sign the application themselves and can file it. And that's one of the huge benefits of it. Um, 
for the EB2 and EB3, the labor service-based process, that's actually all on the employer. So everything is done by the employer. Like when we're working on them, it's a tricky situation because we're working for the individual. We want the best for them, but it's supposed to all go through the employer. They're supposed to test the labor market. I guess the idea is that if the employee is involved in this process, we're not actually testing the labor market, you know? Um, but it, some parts of it that are, are helpful to us in that the law is so old and so out of date that you don't get that many applicants for these jobs. So you have to advertise two Sundays in the local newspaper, so for us, New York Times. So it's really expensive, but no one actually applies. It's funny, actually, if you get the physical New York Times in the business section, the back page of the business section will have the job advertisements. And if you look at them, they'll all say for degrees that are acceptable, they'll say like, this degree or foreign equivalent and that's because someone with a foreign degree they're just advertising for a green card but every pretty much every job you see in the New York Times is for a green card and you have to advertise on you, you have a choice of other advertisements but one we do is the radio another we do is the second local newspaper so you don't get that many applicants that way so it's it's a long and costly process but it, it does work in the end and for options for people just getting around the J1, it's something we used to look at because there used to be massive backlogs in the process and even once you're approved, you still have to wait several years. But now, once you're approved, you can pretty much move on to the last step. So if someone got here early, got here under J1 and started early, they might be able to do it. Um, it's just that whole process, that labor cert process we've just talked about, that takes maybe eight to 12 months. And you know you need a lot of runway then if you only have a one year J one. But if you started early, you could get it done on time before your J one expires, or you may need to change visas at the end. But you could get the bulk of it done. So it is a good option for people. So how long does so what's how long would a green card take to process? What's the longest time it could take, and what's the shortest time it could take? What's the Longest is hard to say, but shortest, I guess we usually say maybe 12 to 24 months. A lot of that is just waiting for interview, um, which isn't the worst thing. I mean, it's frustrating to wait, but when you've gotten to the point that you're getting the interview, especially for the employment-based green card, the interview, they, they used to even have interviews. So up until about a year and a half ago, there were no interviews. Now they have interviews, but they don't have many questions asked because most of the process has been approved in advance. So, yeah, they can be quick. Hopefully, they're going to waive interviews for employment-based green cards due to COVID. And another, that's kind of a silver lining in this. It might be much quicker because so much of the process, like I was saying, especially in New York, is just you're at the end of the cycle. You're just waiting in the office downtown in Manhattan, waiting to be called for interview. And then your interview takes about five minutes. But um, if they waive that, then the process will be much quicker. And what's the cost for a green card, Larkin, when the whole thing is It really done? varies depending on the price of the advertising. I would say probably about ten to $12,000. The reason it varies is just because the advertising, it depends on the jobs. You have to write a job description that if someone looks at it, they can tell what that job is. It prizes the applicants of what it is. And some jobs, like let's say an accountant or a teacher, you know what those jobs are. But if it's something else, like a chemical engineer, you need a little bit more description. And the longer it gets, the more expensive the ad is. So your New York Times ads could run anywhere from two to $4,000. And same with radio ads. If you can do a 30-second one, cheaper. Sometimes it's a minute and it's more expensive. 
and you get that then Lorcan, how long does it last for? And what are the what are the conditions with it? You have to you have to stay in the country for uh over 180 days, isn't it? Yeah, well, so the green card again, permanent residence, so you should be here permanently. The card itself is for 10 years, but technically you're a permanent resident. So even if it did expire, if you didn't leave the country, you're still a permanent resident, but you should always renew it. It's, it's really easy to renew anyway. Um, if you're outside the country for more than six months, like we talked about earlier, you could be seen as having abandoned your permanent residence. If you are going to be out for a prolonged period of time, as they always talk to an attorney, because a lot of people live here but might be posted in a different city or something outside of the US. But if you still have your apartment, your bank account, you have all of that stuff. And even if in between to break up that time, you can just do a short stint here. Like you come for a weekend just to break up that time. But the more information you have when you're talking to Border Patrol to say, look, I have my lease in the US, I have my bills, my bank statement, it makes it much easier to show that you haven't abandoned your residence. I just said just one of the questions I have from the green card uh, who, a former green card holder he had the green card left to go out of date what are the chances of it getting uh, reissued is he out of the country yeah he's been a home for a couple of years he had one and left left it expired does he have to go through the whole process again yeah he'd need to reapply so if he was in the US kind of like I was saying he could just apply to renew it but since he's um outside the US, you'd have to go through again. So whatever made him eligible before, he'd have to go through that. I think I saw that email and it's uh, his dad's a citizen. So he'd have to petition for him again. And it'd be a pretty long process, to be honest. And does that make a difference if his dad is a citizen for a green card? How does it work? Uh, well, there's different categories. So if you're, it depends on your age. If you're over 21 and your parents are citizen, they first have to file a petition for you. And then once that's approved, you have to wait till your number comes up. So every month, the immigration and the Department of State announce what green cards they're processing. So I don't have the numbers in front of me, but let's say in his situation, for kids of US citizens who are over 21, I would imagine they're processing applications right now from probably 2013. So people who filed the first step in 2013 are now being processed. So he'd have to file and then wait till they get to his date. And there's what's called, that's called the visa bulletin. Every month, immigration announced for processing green cards from this date. So he'd just need to check that every month. But he would need to go through the process again. Yeah, so... Um... That, that did it. So, sorry, he also said he's living in Ireland. Can he apply from Ireland for the green card or does he yeah, have to he be can. in America? No, he can apply from Ireland. One thing that's worth looking at there too, also, Michael, as we're looking at in every case is whether he's potentially a citizen. Um, it's common, it's not, not uncommon for people to be born citizens and not realize it because it's actually quite tricky to assess whether citizenship was passed. It kept changing over the years. It's really interesting law actually. It kept changing because the Supreme Court had kept having different takes on it. A lot of it goes back to US soldiers traveling abroad and they'd have kids abroad and then if citizenship could automatically pass then it'd just keep passing and people had no ties to the US. So they put in rules that you have to live here for a certain length of time, like depending on when he was born, if his dad lived here for five years, three of which were after the age of 14, then citizenship automatically passes. And sometimes like you hear crazy stories, people getting deported because they were living here illegally and they were citizens the whole time, you know, and just 
no officer spotted it, no attorney spotted it. But that, that might be something worth looking at for him. Just like Charlotte, Michael. Just got to say it, yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, uh, a friend of her, Charlotte, she went for a green card interview and when they, she was in the process of doing the interview in the room, I don't know if you've met Charlotte or not, then they, they basically came out and said to her, we don't normally give green cards to citizens. And she didn't know what they were talking about. And so she went in for a green card interview and came out with an American citizenship. So that worked out pretty well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's good that you've heard of that situation because I feel like when mm. you tell people, they think it sounds crazy. But the laws changed so much. Like in the 70s, it was you had to live here for 10 years, pass it, and it kept changing. People don't really always understand it. Like as lawyers, we have good spreadsheets to show you if you're born on such and such date, here's what you have to do. And there's different rules if your parents were married, if it was a single parent, if it was the dad or if it was the mother, it was the citizen. So it's always worth examining. Yeah, just uh, just one more green card question, Larkin. Um, Nevin sent in an email. He said, I believe green card holders must set foot in the States once every six months. I left the country in March because of COVID. Will I have to go back within six months to keep my green card? I know you kind of touched on it there, but just to yeah, some... I, I would say, like, I always answer that by saying best advice is yes, you should come back. You should try and come back if possible to not have that. My worry is if you don't, even with COVID and everything, like I said earlier, it's a rebuttable presumption, but it comes on you. So the ball comes into your court. So you're essentially handing a little bit of power over to the officer to say, prove to me that you haven't abandoned your residence. Whereas if you're traveling and you haven't been out for more than six months, then there's no presumption and you have that little bit more power. You know, So ideally, you should come back within 180 days. If he's outside for more than 180 days, it's not an immediate thing like he loses his green card. And one thing to be aware of there is, you know, to take your green card, Border Patrol have to send you to an immigration judge. They can't just take it. A lot of the situations where people call me after the fact and I say my green card was taken, they actually voluntarily sign it over, which is unfortunate. And I, I understand why they do it. It's very stressful and intimidating. But often it's a case where someone's been at home for a while, they're coming back on a holiday or a honeymoon or something, and the officer tells them, look, we'll let you go on an ESTA, but you need to sign that card over to us. And they do it. And it's really hard to get back after that. What if there's somebody, Larkin, sorry, I'll just have it there, Michael, um, and I'm sure this has happened, who might be on that two-year temporary thing if they were just recently married to an American citizen. And let's say, just hypothetically then, if that person like that is at home at the moment and they're in the exact same situation, so it's basically the same thing, isn't it? Even though it's just a two-year visa, or two-year, yeah. they're waiting for their temporary one, or they're waiting, you know, or probably what the question I should ask is, it's unlikely anyone has done this, but if they're, if they're waiting for their interview, they probably shouldn't have gone anyway. But is that, it's basically the same answer as if, it's, if they're on the two-year one, but the realistic yeah. they should come back. If yeah, their so wife or spouse is here as well, the American person is here and they're there. Yeah, for sure. So what you're talking about there is if you get married to a US citizen and apply for a green card, you get what's called conditional permanent residence. So you get a two-year card. And yeah. after two years, you have to apply to remove those conditions. Yeah, but for all intents and purposes, you're like a green card holder. You shouldn't be outside the country for more than 180 days. On leaving before the interview, they are allowed, if you're in that situation and you have advanced parole, which is travel authorization, they are allowed to re-enter because they're married to a citizen, but yeah, still shouldn't be out for too long. Right. And if you, if, you, if you get a green card, Larkin, is your spouse entitled to that green card as well? Sorry, like just for example, in my case with Laura, if I got it, is she entitled to a green card then? Yeah, so you would apply when you get to it. Usually, 
the initial step, like for the EB1 extraordinary ability, you file to show you meet that standard, and then the next step, you both file for the green card. And same goes for the labour cert process we talked about. Talked about one person goes through that process to show they couldn't find anyone willing or able to do their job, and then the last step, you both file the same thing. Okay, and so just to finish off, then if you're to go to full hog, Larkin, you've got your green card. Now you want to become a U.S. citizen. Do do you? Do you process that and how do you go about doing that? Yeah, don't do many of them, to be honest, just because it's not that difficult a process. So I usually tell people to go to the Emerald Isle or one of the centers rather than paying an attorney because it's, you don't want to be telling people really to do it on their own right now because things are tricky with immigration. But if you go to one of the centers, but just how you do that. So once you've gotten your green card, if you got it through marriage, you can apply for your citizenship after three years. If you got it through employment, you can do it after five years. Um, if you got it through employment and then you marry a citizen, you can do it three years from the marriage. So it doesn't really benefit you that much unless you get married within the first two years to get the green card through employment. Okay. But that's also assuming you're still married. Yeah, exactly. So if you get divorced at some point, then you have to wait the five years. And are the green card interviews done in the US, Larkin? Do you have to leave, do you, know, do you have to like for the other visas that I've gone through, I've had to leave the country, go to another consulate, do the interview there and come back in the new visa. Is that the same with the green card? Yeah, it, you know, they happen here. They, they can happen abroad if you're like the, the, the person you mentioned earlier, they're in Ireland, they would apply in Ireland. But if you're here, you apply for what's called adjustment of status where you're getting your green card here. You go to your local office. So the office here in Manhattan is in 26 Federal Plaza. It's a crazy building. Like, I don't know how many stories, just all immigration, just chaotic every day. Um, but wherever you are, you go to the local office. Most offices are much calmer, like the one in Philadelphia. There might be five people a day going through it and same in Boston and all over really. But Manhattan and Newark are just craziness. And the, one Long Island, the one in Long Island City is still closed, Larkin, right? The big place in Long Island City? Yeah, that's permanently closed. Um, that's a mystery, really, isn't it? What happened was it flooded really badly. That's right. It had a lease right. on it and it just got cancelled. I had people scheduled there that day and it got cancelled and they moved everything to Federal Plaza then, which is the one in Manhattan. And I don't mean to scare people by saying it's a crazy place. The officers I actually find in the US are great to deal with. All the officers down No, I agree. I've done, I've done my green card here and I, done my, I got my citizenship here a few year, two years ago this week, actually. And uh, I remember thinking that I found them, they were great. They were absolutely brilliant. Larkin, what about, say, if you're a guy comes over, he's on them, any of them visas you mentioned, any of the letters you mentioned, let's say he's on his second one or whatever it might be, I'm not full-versed on all of them. And now he's going out with an American girl, they're engaged, they get married, and he's in the process, do I go for my third one, or am I better off going to this route? Is there any recommendation on what way they should go? Or is that a case, or does he keep on whatever visa he's on? He's intending to get married anyway. Let's say they have the wedding picked, and they're getting married in Dingle. So is he, is he better off City Hall job, Hornheim, file, and get it done? Or does it matter? Uh, it, it depends on the visa. It doesn't necessarily matter. Like Some visas are what we call dual intent. So a H-1B visa or an L visa, you're allowed to intend to remain here permanently. So even if you're married to a citizen, you can still come and go. So if they get married in Dingle, then he can still come back on his H-1B. The fact that he's married to an American and plans to stay here isn't an issue. It's more complex if you're on a J-1 visa where you constantly have to convince them you don't intend to stay here permanently. 
and that's a different situation. So personality one, for example, I wouldn't recommend going back to Ireland to get married because then you're re-entering the US, you meet an officer who's not in a good mood and they say, you plan to come home after this, but you're married to a citizen that doesn't really have Right. You know? So he'd be better off getting staying, getting married in the States and doing it that way rather than continue on down that route with the other visa. Um, well, we can't, uh, we can't advise people to get married, but I wouldn't advise against it. Well, look at Michael. Look at Michael. He looks happily married. <laughs> <laughs> he went for visas. Yeah. And after all those visas, Larkin, and all the processes, at the end of the day, the word is just marry a yank. <laughs> I listened to the whole thing and I heard the whole thing and I was just sitting there going. Jesus Christ, lads. Just got to Rory Dolan's on a Sunday night, would it? There's Irish-American girls up there just crying out to make their daddy happy to arrive home with some fella. Then you arrive home, the dad wants to know what county is he from, then he's pissed off, he finds out he's a dub, or he finds out he's from the wrong county. But it's got to be a lot cheaper and worse. To... Lorcan, on your pet peeves as a lawyer, because obviously every person that falls at you, they're the only case that matters, and they're the only one, and they want to know why you're not ringing them, or why you're not emailing them, or why you're not calling them. I think Sophie or someone might have emailed in and just advising people, which it is true, like just take care of your own stuff to the best of your ability or keep on top of it. Because it, it is tough for lawyers to be like, it is their job and it is what you're doing. But like people just, some people just put it on the back burner and they assume that everything's been taken care of. You know, so is that something that you experience a lot or, you know? I, I said generally people are good. And I mean, if you come to us and you've heard us it will be on top of it for sure but yeah i guess the, the example i saw that email was that you know we file a h1b for someone and it's not up to us to track whether they're getting paid the right amount or when their status expires you know in three years they might have been happy with it they might be coming back who knows what but it, once it's approved and you know they're always welcome to ask me questions and i answer questions all day long but at the same time yeah their expiration is their business and people do need to keep on top of that. One good piece of advice maybe is every time you enter the country to check, did they write an expiration date? And if not, you can check it online at the I-94 because they often mess it up and you know they're doing the same thing over and over. Sometimes I guess you get distracted, but you know sometimes we'll get I-94s that have the wrong date. So it's important people check that and keep on top of it themselves. Yeah, absolutely, Larkin. We, um, as I said, we it was last year we began our we it was only we just said we'd call in one day. We know we were off as well, so we'd call in and get the process rolling. You know, it was March last year, and when we by the time we actually Laura was lucky to apply for the H one B because it was the end of April, and by the time my one was sent back and they were looking, geez, I think my application was like fourteen hundred pages in the end or something like that. They kept looking for more information, so it took months in the end, and so like the. My advice, like, would be to people just go over here because I've met so many people. Well, yeah, I'll look into it. Come here if if you're on a 12 month visa or 18 month visa, get it sorted straight away. Go into a lawyer and get the ball moving, get the process moving because the time would just fly like that. Yeah, and I do always say that there's like there's, there's no magic solution. Like I feel like, and I was like this as well. You know, when I was younger, that. Uh, the H1B is in March and April, like, there'll be something else later. Like, how did all these people say? There must be something. And, you know, they probably stayed because they were on top <laughs> earlier. And it, it is the thing, you know, to just, yeah, the kind of Irish mentality, like we talked about earlier, to just 
put things on the back burner on the long yeah. finger and just wait it out and you know it'll be grand and it, it might not there isn't all the solutions and you no know, we do our best to come up with solutions for people but there isn't always one i was just lucky i'm very punctual isn't that right johnny yeah, he's all over this stuff. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Sophie Colgan said, didn't that? She just said, look, um, it isn't a question for Larkin, but don't forget to assume, don't, for, don't forget your attorney will not remind you of the, of the start of the renewal process. It's up to you to, to kind of get that ball rolling. It's not up for Larkin to say, oh, your, your visa's expiring in such a day, you have to keep on top of it. Uh, he said, she just said, I'd say Larkin has people say to him, why didn't you tell me it's expiring, etc." But it's your responsibility to keep an eye on the date, given that Larkin and other attorneys are dealing with hundreds of applications. My friend only realized his green card was up when he was trying to get back in and luckily got a renewal extension, but it's not always the case. Can't wait to listen. Great stuff, lads. Michael, you have better hair than Johnny. Sophie. <laughs> she obviously hasn't seen you in a while. <laughs> she might have seen your selfie the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I was just supporting the females, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what we've talked about all yeah. the way through. It's just be on top of it. Look at the different options. There are some, but not that many. And uh, do talk to a lawyer, like whether it's me or anyone else. Just try and find someone competent. Um, someone your friends have used. Most lawyers out there are pretty good, but there's some that aren't so good. So I suppose he's talking about a H1B there, is he, Larkin? Probably, yeah. So H1B, you would have to apply in next March. And like we were saying, hopefully the numbers are down. If they are, he'd have a really good chance. Yeah. So what were they this year? Was it 100? Is there like 75,000, 80,000 spaces? And then there's 150,000 apply. And then that's that's why there's a lottery. Yeah, so there's 85,000 available. And uh, yeah, now they're getting up to about 250,000 people applying. Um, Yeah. Like I was saying, back when I applied the first week, I think there was maybe 3,000 applicants. So we just had to put it in and we got it. Yeah. So Johnny, uh, Larkin was saying that to me before the pod, that he was just saying that um, he got touched on it earlier, but that uh, it might dip under, well, it could be wrong, it could dip under 85,000 next year, and then you wouldn't have any lottery that if you played for the H1B that you'd get it. So I know there was there was guys here, uh, I think it was Seamus Kane, the, the, the trainer, I think he played for four times. It was at least three. Thinking four times he went for the H one B lottery and was shot down every time. And so it's crazy. He got the O one in the end, and he said, "You're a lifesaver." <laughs> so he's another fellow that, back in you. <laughs> Larkin, uh, you can cut this out now. You don't have to put this in. Uh, is that the one Jess went for Larkin? Uh, Jess that was working. Yeah, with us. H one B. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, when you mentioned earlier on that the ten dollar lottery one, like that, is, that's that's what that has changed to now. Is it what she yeah. done last year? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it's it is. Oh, you went you went through that process with an employee, Johnny? Was it for? Yeah, no, she Larkin, she is our uh, Jess, a lovely girl, and she I know she was going through that process. And it was the only that was the time I learned about it. She was explaining some of the things how it worked to me. And then I remember hearing that, and I was glad when Larkin said earlier on, now it's just ten dollars, and you do it yourself. I remember hearing it's such a gamble on their end. That it's just this money, and then all the work that you're putting into it, your end, everything she's doing, we did a little bit. And then it's just it's just a pick a match. It was some it was some money yeah, racket for them. I suppose we do the work we get paid, but like everyone's pissed in the end. Yeah, you, get yeah you, it's not worth it. Like you've no win. Like yeah, the person who gets it thinks, well, I got it because of all my paperwork was good, and then <laughs> yeah. the ones that don't get it are just like it's your fault because it has to be your fault. It can't be anyone else. Like oh, why did it's it? called a lottery. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why did it change? Like like you know, there's so many of these cases where the bureaucracy are like, why do they do this? And it's it's the same for years. What made them just go, hey, this is a simple solution? 
funny, like it sums up what's wrong with American politics because there was an Obama era idea um, and the Republicans hated it then and the Republicans just implemented it obviously and the Democrats were like, this is nonsense, we shouldn't be doing this. So like, as can we all agree that this makes sense? Like, this just makes sense. I remember because Laura was getting, she had to get um, CVs, copies of people's uh, degrees off like 10 different managers of kickboxing studios. It was crazy. And then you're putting it in and you don't even know if you get it. Like, so that's a great, that's a, it's, it's a great thing to, for people to know an extra that they could just put in the application. Probably would bump up the applications as well, like Larkin, would it? Even though well, going down in one sense. I don't know if it will that much. I talked to the clients about that this year because like, most of the applicants, like John, we have a big opinion of ourselves as Irish people, but like we are, we are really a drop in the ocean. The, the big entrance. No, 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 no. We built this place. We built this place. <laughs> You've like, never heard that one before, right? Should I hear you, you too, Sog? <laughs> yeah. Like the, the big ones that are taking up all the numbers, they don't care. Like I have a few clients who are tech consulting companies and they're like, should we put in 10 applications for this guy? You know, there's just, they, they don't, money isn't really a big issue for them. Okay. And uh, he just asked there, uh, that, that was Derry's question, how long does the, the process take and what are the costs? Yeah, I guess broad again, the H1B, like what we were talking about, the lottery, the new lottery system is $10 to enter. We were helping people with it and charging $300 to assist. It really, you can do it yourself. A lot of people did. Um, and so that you apply in March, you'll know by the end of March if you're picked. And then if you file in April, you should find out by the end of August if you're picked. If you're doing the green card, like we talked about, it probably takes about a year. And good to, like we've been talking about through all of this, start early, talk to an attorney because options, it's like you're on a clock and the options are getting less and less as time goes on, you know? So, Lorca, just so like if you go for it in April and then you're selected over the summer, it starts then in October, is it? Okay. Yeah, in every other year, bar this year would start in October. This year will start in January. One thing to note there: anytime you don't spend in the US, even though they'll start in January, the time actually runs from October, but you can get that back later. So you can okay. recapture any time you spend outside the US. Okay. So there was just one going up to the J one here. I, uh, uh, Nashua put in. Um, an email thanks for organizing chat with Larkin my question is any idea when the J1 visa application for OPT students will resume so I'm not really sure what she means there so J1 OPT is the training you get after your F1 student visa so I'm wondering if she means when they'll start issuing the OPTs again um, that they are still issuing them there was a delay they actually stopped actually producing the physical cards recently, the green cards and work authorization cards, but they've started producing them again. Um, if that's what she means, hopefully soon, because they're, they're producing them again now. For issuing of J1s, most of them won't be issued till January. But I'll, I'll email her also, Michael, okay. just because I wasn't sure what she meant. Okay. Uh, I'm seven months into my J1 grad visa here in New York and have been looking at a few visa options. My employer put me in for the H1B shortly after I arrived, but I didn't get picked in the lottery. I've been accepted for a master's course that I could do part-time and still work legally. The course offers an internship while also fulfilling the F1 visa requirements. My issue with this is with the executive order that's in place until the end of 2020, I had intended to process my change of visa status from the U.S., I'm aware there's serious visa processing backlogs at the moment. 
and the process could take six months. The first course begins in January, despite having already been accepted. The university will not begin the process of the I-20 application and service transfer until mid-September. This leaves me with a maximum of 14 weeks for visa processing, which I imagine won't be enough time. Is this, a, is this the case or can I stay in the country while my F1 is pending? Uh, this is kind of a tricky issue, and again, someone who should set up a consultation, but this is a curious situation. This happens a lot where people, so the I-20 is a document, the school issue, to allow you to apply for a visa or a change of status. So they're issuing that in September. So this guy can apply to change his status to F1 until school starts, or 60 days before school starts. So you actually have to file that, to apply to change status in January, but it's likely not going to be approved till maybe in March. So in the meantime, you have to apply for some other underlying status, like a lot of people apply for B2 holiday visas, and you apply for that while you're waiting for the F1 to be approved. And we've seen situations where the F1 takes really long. People have to keep extending their B visas while they wait for this other one to be approved and they're missing classes. In an ideal situation, if the embassies reopen, to cure all of those problems, you can just go to an embassy and get the F1 visa issued in your passport. Okay, I think this might be one of our longer ones. The other concern I have is with regards to the level of scrutiny my application would fall under if I change my status from the US or under normal circumstances, I'd be able to travel home for an interview in the embassy, which I imagine would be simpler and faster. Uh, what are the pros and cons of transferring a visa from within the US versus traveling home for a consular interview, especially in light of Trump's executive order remaining in place until the end of the year and my J1 expires on December the 30th? Um, there's kind of pros and cons of both. I mean, if you go to the embassy to apply for the F1, they're very strict on the intent to return home. So you've just done a J1, you have to go to the embassy and you have to prove to them that you plan to return home at the end of that student visa. And the more time you spend here, the less they think you're going to return home, you know? So coming off the J1, they're thinking, are hey, you just planning to get this and then try for H1B? So that can be tricky. But then changing status from within the US is the one we just talked about that takes a really long time as well. So generally, I'd be in favor of going to the embassy, but you just have to be careful and, you know, look on the message board, see which embassies are strict on certain things at a given time. Okay, that was Michael with an email. Uh, another one here is Fergal. Uh, he's been trying to get back into the US. He did a J-1 visa four years ago. He's been looking into the F-1 visa. Are there any other options I should be looking at? I'm currently working with a fintech company in Ireland. Uh, yeah, so a few of the options we talked about, like if you had a potential job offer here, the J-1 as a trainee, he'd be eligible for now. The F-1, he mentioned himself, the student visa, that's a good one. And... Um, if he's working with an Irish fintech company or if whatever nationality is, if they have an office in the US, you could either transfer with the L visa to the US or if it's Irish owned with the E visa. So that's something to look at. And, you know, we've had clients in the past in that situation who were in a company in Ireland and essentially said to them, hey, I could be your guy on the ground in the US. We could launch there and they come and create an E visa situation for themselves almost. Now, that's easier said than done, but it's an option. Are you, for those L1 visas, Larkin, you'd want to be working with like a, a multinational, like if you're working with the likes of a pharmaceutical, there's probably a greater chance you'd get that RMI. Um, well, it can be any company. The, the bigger companies have what's called an L1 blanket where they're blanket approved. 
and that's great. They, they can skip half the process essentially. So the huge companies like PwC and all these people have a lot of L1 visa holders here. They have a, a smoother transition, but it can be any, you know, it can be just setting up a new office in the US. You can apply for an L1 visa. Okay, we've one here from Niamh. Uh, thanks for posting in the J1 group. We did I posted this uh, podcast in the J1 graduate visa group. Uh, I really enjoyed the podcast so far. Far, I wanted to ask Larkin the following: I graduated from college in July 2019, and was due to go to Boston on the J1 IWT visa. It's a grad visa, I think, in April. Given the fact that J1s have been banned until the end of the year, and along with my deadline date of July 1st having already passed. I don't think I'll be eligible for that visa now. So she gets 12 months, isn't it? She graduated in July, gets 12 months to use it. Uh, so she thinks it's after expiring. My visa sponsors have not heard any update from the Department of State. So I was wondering, do you think the eligibility would be extended to allow me to go next year? And if not, is there any other visas? Yeah, I can't say for certain, but I do think the eligibility will be extended for the graduate J1. Right. I deal with the J1 agencies quite a lot, some of them, and they, they feed us some information and they do think that that, that will be extended, the graduation date. Um, I can't say that for certain, but it is something that's been talked about that, you know, if you're within one year of graduation and that has passed, they, they may allow it to, to be extended. Okay. So how, how will they ever know that, Larkin, if it's up in July now or they, like, what would they get, six months? I, it's so just in her situation, is she, has she already got the J1 or she's applying for it based on her graduation? Um, I don't think I'm eligible for the visa. I don't think she got it. My visa sponsors, my visa sponsors have not heard any update from the Department of State. Maybe she's got it, so has she? Uh, well, she might be just dealing with them now. I would say if she has it already, they may reissue with okay. a new, so it'll be 12 months. That would involve going back to the embassy. If she hasn't got it already and she's talking about her graduation date, then I think they'll say, okay, if you graduated during these dates, you can still apply. Okay. And would, what she said, then it, would there be any other option for her, I suppose, maybe the... The trainee um, visa or Yeah, something? trainee, <coughs> the ones we've talked about, trainee is probably the best entry-level one. Okay. I'll marry her. I'll marry her. Did you send a picture? <laughs> That's always an option. You could try that out there. I'm just, <laughs> mix it up, like you know. That's what this podcast should say. It's the start of it. Click on here to learn how to do visas, or click on here, and then when you click on the other side, just say, "Just get married." Yeah, we've got an <laughs> we've got an un undercover podcast as well coming up. The, the black market. You all my. You can always all my questions are very dodgy. Black market, you know? <laughs> so much money do them lads need now with the investing? <laughs> Is it cash? If the guy gets married now. How cash does he get only. Back into the country? <laughs> do you recommend coming in through Buffalo or through Mexico? Which is your best bet? <laughs> yeah, cabber uh, investigating me there at home, yeah. man. I want. <laughs> yeah, how things have changed. <laughs> Uh, Evelyn has two questions. I'm looking to do a J1 grad visa in about a year's time, and I'm just wondering how COVID will affect the J1 grad visa. And Larkas, do you think the government may put a ban on these for a number of years, or is that unlikely? No, I don't think so. I mean, the J1 program's always kind of been in trouble, even all the time under Trump in particular, but it can be a bit controversial because it's been abused in various situations. But I don't think so. I mean, I'm trying to be very positive. If there's a new president in January, there's 
we'll see a lot more positive changes and uh, like we won't see that visas being denied for years on end like we see now. Um, that's just a guess, like who knows how the election will go, but I mean, if, if Trump is re-elected, we're likely to see a continuation of these bans, I guess, and we'll all be in trouble. Well, at least we want to really Jay one was messing over the summer now when all pictures going home and up in the, the Facebook groups there because there's none of them around. <laughs> I missed them. <laughs> Jay Warner page, I missed them. I don't know. I clicked on it there yesterday. Johnny Kennedy, uh, group administrator for the J1 Sightseers. <laughs> Question two there from Evan. Is the H1B visa the most common longer-term visa that Irish people are on over in the US? And is the H1B visa di- difficult to get even if you have a sponsor? I suppose sponsor is the main thing, Lorcan, is it? Sponsor, I think, is the hardware, but also the lottery. Um, I think yeah. it is... Probably one of the most common. One thing to note, like I feel like Irish people ask me that a lot. Is that the one that people, a lot of people have? I mean, it doesn't really matter if it is or it isn't. You know, if you're eligible for the old one or if you're eligible for whatever one it is, you know, um, you should go for it. Okay. Uh, so it was Hannah on Facebook. Uh, Facebook messages on our Facebook page. Um, she's looking for an option to get back into the US. Not working at the moment at home. Uh, was I've completed my J1. What's the next best visa option for me to head back over to the States? Currently unemployed in Ireland, so don't have a sponsor. Um, without a sponsor, there's not a huge amount of options. I mean, you know, we keep coming back to the same topics, but the F1 uh, is a student visa, something to look at because you can get work authorization at the end of it. Um, some courses, like the person mentioned earlier, allows you to work during the course. Um, also, the J1, we've talked about a lot, the trainee, again, it's a fairly good entry-level option. Something you could also look at at home is, you know, try to work for the U.S. companies. I know, again, easier said than done, but if you're working for a multinational, they can transfer you here after a year. Um, or if you're working for an Irish-owned company that have offices here, you can transfer. Okay. Actually, I just got one, Michael, because I put up on our story that we were doing this, and literally someone texted me and asked me a question. Now, you probably already answered this. It's about an F1 visa holder. Uh, an example, could an F1, F1 holder fly home to Ireland for a week and then fly back again? Can he basically go home for a holiday? Um, I'd have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, they're exempt from the most recent ban. So they're, I think they, they were listed on the exceptions to the original March ban, but I'd have to double check that. I would say consult with me or a lawyer on it. But um, I know they have waves. So I'll just tell him you said yes. I'm going to tell him <laughs> you said just consult with him and you can see. So go spend a few Bob Dylan and go see a lawyer, but they think you can. <laughs> <laughs> Lark, when you're getting an ex- exemption, is, is that the whole visa is exempt or do you have to go to a lawyer, apply, get an exemption and go? Or So, well, there are certain categories. So when they announce these bans, some visas are just totally exempt. They're not part of it. But in the last two weeks, they've announced that certain categories like the E2, for example, can enter because it's in the national interest. And I'm almost certain that the F1 was included in that as well without having to apply for a waiver. Just looking through my notes here, sorry. Um, But for the E2, if they were coming back, they have to apply to the embassy and it's for that specific trip. You have to actually give the flight details. So I think the embassy are contacting the, the airline to say, this guy's okay. 
Aileen from uh, texting in Facebook. Question for your upcoming podcast. Uh, she was naturalized 18 years ago after having a Donnelly green card since 1990. How would it impact my US status if I chose to return to Ireland for an extended period of time? Will there still be a need to turn in a zero tax return? One of my kids is going to college in Ireland, is about to move to college in Ireland, which opens the door to the move also. So from an immigration standpoint, you know, she won't lose citizenship or anything. It's not like it's abandoned, like permanent residence. For taxes, I know she has to file. As a US citizen, you have to file. She may not have to pay. There's exemptions if you earn under a certain amount. Um, you can speak to an, attorney or to an uh, accountant on that, but... Generally, you have to file something, but if it, I think if you earn less than $100,000 or euros, you don't actually have to pay it twice. So there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of exemptions on that, but best to speak to an account. But you do definitely have to file. Okay. So she just, uh, she just said there as well, by the way, the Long Hall Pub in Dublin was where my uncle was a bartender and a manager for over 40 years. The name of the podcast caught my eye due to this. Willie Devitt was my uncle. I don't know, Johnny, are you familiar? Wow, that's amazing. Well, no, because Val, Val who retired there recently, was the manager there, and he, Val worked in it since he was a teenager. And he literally only retired there recently. Val's, Val's only in his late 50s, early 60s. So, yeah, Long Haul's been over 250 years. So, yeah, she said, to, to, uh, like her question there about what you're doing, like our kid gone and everything. As regards the taxes thing, that's something she really probably shouldn't have to worry too much about. Like, you know what I mean? It's something that could come down the road, but you are expected to file. I have friends at home that are all like American citizens and haven't lived here for years. And some of them file and some of them don't. But it's it really depends where she's going to end up. From what I can, If she ends up living here later in life, which she probably will, it could come around then. But it wouldn't be something I would worry too much about. So. If, like once you become a citizen you're caught for taxes for the rest of your life for with the US aren't you and am I right in saying that so like if you were if you like if you're expected to file your taxes no matter where you are in the world as an yeah. American citizen yeah. Yeah. yeah even if you see America don't recognize dual citizenship they they know it exists but they am I right in saying that they know we have Irish passports and all in their eyes you're American and that's it like there's no dual citizenship with them but they do know it exists Right. I've heard stories. I had a friend of mine, and genuinely, he, one of your earlier questions reminded me of him. He had a green card here for years, and he uh, he went for his interview. And I don't know if you've ever heard stories like this, Robert, but it, I have just confirmed from someone else that did it. But they asked him in the question, and years ago, I used to hear people saying they were more or less implying, I don't know whether they directly said it, he said they did, are you willing to give up your Irish citizenship now today to be an American citizen? Whether they said it or not, I don't know, but he seemed to, and he just, he threw a wobbler. He was like, absolutely not. But the guy then across the desk was looking at him going, do you want to take time to think about this? In other words, the guy knew it exists, but he was just doing the red tape thing. That guy walked out there and went home and lost his green card. Now he's living in Ireland and, uh, you know, his wife and kids, like his wife had lived here for a long time and now his kids now are coming up on their teenage years and I'm sure the effect of it then, it bothers him then what a game changer could have been for the whole family you know but to be fair he probably something Lorgan hit on earlier on and I know from talking to my lawyers you know get lawyers advice I've seen so many people try to cheap out on this over the years and I'm not knocking them for a reason but I'm talking about from person some people would have money and they'd be like oh I'll go do it myself and inevitably they end up calling Lorcan 
or Jeremiah or whoever it may be, they end up having to call them in the end. They want to know why their visa then is sitting in Montana or why this is there. Pay the lawyer, well, no matter what. I know you said Larkin, even with the citizenship earlier on, you advise people to go to the action center and fair play to you are giving that advice and most people do that. Even for that, I paid a lawyer to do it because I just didn't want to have an issue with it. If I didn't like, you know, dot this guy or do something wrong and stuff like that. But for definitely for green cards, I've seen people over the years and they say stuff to you like, yeah, but she is my wife or she is this, or, or it is this, or it's, you know, so, I said, so what? Pay a lawyer to do it. You know what I mean? I wouldn't let you in to pull a Guinness for me, Michael. I'd pull the Guinness. You know what I mean? That's my department. That's Larkin's department. I don't know what yours is yet, but you're on a no visa, so you must be talented at something. An extra, extra, an extraordinary, <laughs> yeah. extraordinary. <laughs> so there's a, a, a few, um, a few longer ones there, Larkin. That um, we said um, we get in touch with them because they're so long and there we wouldn't be able, wouldn't have the time to get through them here. So like, there was a lot came in. There's just finish up on one or two more. Um, so there's an L1 uh, query here, Larkin. Uh, David V email. Um, Hope all is well, guys. Love the podcast. I spotted this on Twitter on at the Long Haul Pod, so I decided to email the question for the Immigration Podcast. I'm an L1 visa holder, living in Manhattan for two years. If I were to fly home for a few weeks with my wife, who has an L2 visa, would we be allowed back into the country? Uh, one option we thought about was spending 14, 14 days prior to returning in a non-travel ban country. Would this work? Yeah. So what is described there would potentially work spending 14 days somewhere else. I mean, we talked a bit about it earlier. It's kind of fraud with issues in this. I was looking at all the bands from all the other countries when I was researching for this. And, you know, just there's, you'd have to research that country, then hope they're not added to the U.S. ban. Um, and then the flight issue, a lot of flights getting cancelled. So in theory, yes, but it's not a great idea. Okay. So that was that other guy's kind of question that texted me that time, Lorca as regards his visa, what he's more worried about and is what people's concern is. And I suppose, I know you probably, we went around, but in just layman terms straight up, if somebody flies home to Ireland now on any of these visas, they're expected to quarantine. But it's voluntary quarantine, right? So if they're flying back to the States within that two weeks period, obviously they didn't quarantine. Is that an issue with immigration or is that nothing to do with them? They stay away from that. Oh, that's nothing to do with them, but you have to spend two weeks in a completely different country before you can enter the U.S. So the U.S. isn't letting you back in, like unless you're an American, even if you're an American citizen, you have to stay longer than the two-week period? No, no. So you can't enter the U.S. if you've been in Ireland in the last two weeks. Okay. But there, but there are exceptions to that, like citizens, green card holders, spouse of green yes. card holders. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. So you could you could fly to a non-travel ban country for two weeks. I don't know. Take you were saying Dubai earlier, but there after locking down, spend two weeks there and then get back into America that way on your O visa or whatever one is banned at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So lads, uh, we'll just finish up there with Larkin. Larkin, that was a very long podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. I think if anyone was listening there, they got a complete. You know, a full rundown on all the visas, all the options mixed in with a couple yeah, of brilliant, uh, man. I, couple... I learned fucking stuff on them that I didn't even know. Fair play to learn. That was really good. I don't know how you remembered all of it yourself. I'm sure to you, some crisscrosses and they kind of match up, but still, oh my God, you got yeah. one person ringing about his visa and obviously that's all he cares about. And then she's fair play to you. I don't know how you do it. And it's finally nice to put a face to the name 
I'm going to tell you now, I used to hear your name all the time and I just thought you were some like 50 year old fella that was just sitting in the office pissed off at all these fucking young fellas <laughs> ringing you the whole time. Jesus Christ, these paddies, would they ever deport them? Just get them out of my life. So it's pl- pleasantly surprised to realize you're a young guy. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, Ferris, like, like, like you've a great, great reputation in the in the in the city, Lark, and it's everyone, Absolutely. everyone goes here. In fairness, like, and that's why we got got you on. And I just say, like, um, you can, I'll put up the links to your website here for people to contact you just to get in touch if they need to get a um, visa processed. And we would just say, just for anyone out there, get the process, get the ball running, rolling as soon as possible. And look, at the responsibility is on yourself, really, to to make sure your timelines and all that are are in order. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. This was great crack. Um, hope people get something out of it and we can do it again if you know if, if the situation keeps changing. But if you ever want me to come on, even for just a few minutes or whatnot, I'd be happy to do it. And that's all for this week's podcast. Thanks again to people who wrote in with their visa questions. And don't worry if you didn't get your question in on time, because Larkin has agreed to come back on the podcast in a few weeks' time. And don't forget to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Long Haul Podcast.